I was born in 1960, and what that means is that I got to grow up in probably one of the most dangerous eras of toy manufacturing and retailing in the history of the planet. It was right between the time of toys being made primarily out of wood and other homespun materials and the great chemical revolution and then eventually settling down sort of where we are today, where there are lots of plastic toys and all, but they're all pretty darn safe. To give you an example, when I was growing up on the playground of the elementary school near my grandparents' house, which was located in Northern California, one of the play structures was a massive redwood stump set on its side. Kind of creative. It was a lot of fun to play on. You could climb up about eight, 10 feet off the ground and fling yourself into space, see what would happen. The downside was you get your hands full of splitters as you climbed on this thing, but it was a blast. But the higher competition on that same playground was a decommissioned Navy jet. It was a Korean War era Navy jet, the kind as the engine that with a big hole on the front, so it was natural to want to climb into there. And they had taken out somebody, the, most of the electronics, so there were some hanging wires here and there, and the engine was gone, sorry, microphone, and there were most of the good parts removed from the jet, which left all sorts of sharp surfaces. But we could climb through it. It was expected that we would climb through it. It was that or the great big redwood stump or the swings. That was the playground. So I can remember when we'd go to visit my grandparents as we walked to the playground, literally doing the math, do I want splinters or cuts today? Because <laughs> that jet, full of cuts. And usually I would choose that, because those didn't hurt as much as splinters when I got back to my grandparents and we had to have a little first aid. But that was considered normal for a playground. The playground my home at that point had a steam locomotive, a decommissioned steam locomotive. Just climb on it, fall off, do whatever you want to do. That was entertainment, that was fun. So. Within our house, there was a toy that could never be sold today. And it actually wasn't on the market terribly long, I think because it was so dangerous. It was a very rubbery collection of little animals. They're about the size of my open fist today. And there was an octopus, and there was a dog, and there were a whole bunch of creatures that made no sense whatsoever. And it really, they were not supposed to be toys. They had a string that went through them with an elastic cord on the top, and they were supposed to be hung from rear view mirrors of cars, probably Volkswagen bugs with great big flower stickers on them. And this thing would bounce as the car went down the road and everyone would be entertained. Well, people like me saw, hey, that looks like it's fun to play with, so we'd save up our allowance and buy one of these. We'd get them home, and discover all sorts of interesting things about them. First of all, if you left them on any surface for any length of time, they left a big oil mark. That's how bizarre these things were. They were actually leaking petrochemicals as you played with them. And then you could pose them in a couple different positions, not a whole lot, 
not, not many different positions. But after you did that for a few days, then the really sharp little wires would start to come through. And as the master of the toy, you'd have to decide, do I want to keep the wire in there and just be careful about being poked, or do I want to pull it out and then have this wonderful new toy of the sharp wire? And just to step back a second, I'm seven, eight years old tops at this point. You could throw the thing against the wall and make this wonderful splat noise and leave a mark. You could throw it at your friends and it wouldn't hurt too much if you hit them, unless the, the eyes came out, because those then turned into sort of bullets with a sharp wire on the back. You wanted to make sure you didn't throw it when the eye was loose, because you could draw blood and just for my generation, the worst thing you could do was have a visible mark like blood because then your parent would know something weird was going on. As long as you didn't show blood, you could get away with just about anything as a kid. So my brother and I started to play with our collection of these. He was four years older than I, and even he, was, though, was intrigued by these. And I remember my favorite little one was an octopus. And my brother's favorite one was this thing that looked sort of like Jabba the Hutt, though decades before Job of the Hut, And we'd come up with all sorts of different adventures that these and a few other uh, of these rubbery characters would get into. They'd do mountain climbing up the side of the dressers, and we had this entire fantasy world that eventually we built up all based in our bedroom. Because we knew as these things started to disintegrate more and more, and they were, they were sort of degrading in front of our eyes, that they'd be taken away from us when our parents finally caught on to how dangerous these things were becoming. So we had this secret world in our bedroom with mountain climbing going on, with fighting off evil going on, with various shows going on, being put on by these animals. And then our cousins came to visit one summer, all of them younger than us, and what we discovered when our young cousins were there is you could bite the legs off of these things with no problem whatsoever, and then chew on them for an extended period, like a pacifier, and apparently not get ill enough that a parent would notice. So now we had a bunch of these rubbery animals with some wires sticking out with pieces missing. And my brother and I, rather than throwing them away, knowing that these were invaluable pieces now, that they were becoming harder and harder to find in stores. I think people were catching on to how dangerous they were. We would simply rewrite the story, that now the octopus only had six legs, and therefore was a massive bug that was fascinating. And the dog had its head bit off, and now had the head as a space satellite that could circle above and give reports on what was going on while the body of it was now a pack animal that they could take on the mountain climbing adventures. We went on and on like this. And I think of that dimension particularly, of the reorienting of what these creatures were in our narratives, in our stories, when I think of this morning's gospel. Because this morning's gospel is Jesus talking about who are we? Who are we as human beings? Where does our identity rest? And we have all sorts of answers for that all around us, that we can be identified by the sports teams we like, or our hobbies, or our families, or our nation, on and on and on, all sorts of different configurations of how humans can sort themselves or sort others into different buckets. But 
what Jesus is telling us in this morning's gospel is that we are all in the same bucket. We are all the same. We are all humans. And that our primary identity should, should be that we are beloved by God and we love others. That's why we have all this language about God's, the Father's in me, and I'm in the Father, and you are in me, and I'm in you, and all these different configurations. So whenever we would try, and we do try over and over, to rearrange how our identities fall and how the human race is organized, we have a gospel reading like this pop up and get into our face and say, no, we are all one, entire human race. Whatever religion we are, whatever sexual orientation we are, whatever ethnic background, economic, whatever it is. We are all in the same bucket. We are all beloved children of God. And that if we can make peace with that in our individual lives and in our corporate lives, then life will make sense. Because that is how God ordered creation to be. That we are all interdependent. And that interdependence is best expressed by loving one another, by allowing the love of God, the love by God that is in each person and in each one of us be expressed by our relationships with each other and with all of creation. It's something that the human race keeps avoiding. We have for thousands of years where we want to reorganize ourselves, we want our own bucket, or we want to have a hierarchy of I'm better than you or you're less than me. But this gospel, and so many other passages, of course, is all about, no, we are all part of the same household. We are all part of the same society. We are all part of God's embrace. It's annoying at times. It's frustrating at times. It's scary at times. But it is what's real. God's the one who knows better than we what is real? And over and over we try to say, no, no, it's not about love. No, it's not about interdependence. It's not about relationships. It's instead about right belief or right behavior or right this or right that. And usually the people who are using that kind of language are the ones who think they are right. Jesus is telling us this morning, set all that aside. Embrace each other. Embrace the world. And then we'll have a sense of how God is and how God wants us to be. Day in, day out, year after year, generation after generation. We are still working as a human race on living this out. We are, of course, far from loving each other universally, even within a congregation, let alone an entire human species. But it is our destiny. It is the meaning of our lives. It is the way we are called to live. It's sort of like the dangerous toys, that when we love one another, we are at risk. We are likely to get splinters and cuts, but we are not called to live life risk-free. We are not called to live life in complete safety. Instead, we are called to live in love, and love requires risk, it requires vulnerability. It requires us to make scary moves. But that is how we are called to be. And you know what? That can be fun. 
It can be fun. It can be adventurous. And there's always God there to take care of the cuts and splinters whenever things have gone a little too risky and we've gotten a little bit hurt. So whenever we think about where is our identity, who are we as individuals and as a people, we simply have to remember that we are beloved children of God, each and every one of us, beloved children of God. That's our destiny. That's our identity. That's what we are called to live out. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.